Stay tuned now for Byline Mendocino. And good morning. Good Friday morning. This is Alicia Bales here with Byline Mendocino. Byline Mendocino is a bi-weekly local media roundtable where we discuss the local headlines with our local journalists. Uh, this morning on Byline Mendocino, our local journalist roundtable will include Matt Lefevre, the publisher of the online local news blog Mendo Fever, and Robin Epley, editor-in-chief at the Fort Bragg Advocate News and Mendocino Beacon. Uh, and in the second half of the show. I'm pleased to have fire reporter Sarah Sturch, one of our region's most dependable and crucial reporters on fire and other disasters. She uses social media to provide life-saving, accurate, and up-to-the-minute information to keep people safe. We're going to be talking with Sarah about her work and the upcoming fire season. But first... um, I want to mention, actually, I want to welcome both of our local journalists uh, to the roundtable this morning. Like I said, Matt Lefevre publishes Mendo Fever, and Robin Epley is the editor-in-chief at Fort Bragg Advocate News, previously worked at the Chico Enterprise Record. Welcome to you both. Thanks for coming on Byline this morning. Thanks for having us, Alicia. Great to have you. Great to hear you. Um, uh, Before we get into the week's local stories, though, we do have a breaking situation happening right now on the coast in Casper. I want to take a minute to update our listeners um, and hear what hear your comments about this. Um, yesterday, California Department of Forestry, otherwise known as CAL FIRE, started logging in the contested Casper 500 logging plan in Jackson's demonstration state forest. Uh, where tree sorters have been occupying the treetops for a couple months now. Protesters were out in the woods all day trying to slow down the logging, and they vowed to be out there again this morning to meet the logging crews and stop them from getting into the site. Well, this morning, I'm told, protesters erected a road blockade at Road 500, otherwise known as the kiosk, and have effectively blocked any logging from happening this morning. As of 8.30, they were still holding the road and maybe setting up other roadblocks at other entry points. As far as I know, there have not been any arrests this morning out in Casper. Uh, Have either of you been covering the situation, and do you have anything to add? Uh, I have not specifically been covering it. Uh, I have spoken with uh, Mendocino County Sheriff Matt Kendall regarding his um, role in the process. He said he was visiting the site, uh, attempting to dialogue with uh, demonstrators, along with CAL FIRE Unit Chief George Gonzalez, and uh, just, uh, he expressed uh, a sincere interest in hearing the demonstrators' perspectives. Yeah, well, the advocate. Yeah, oh, go sorry. ahead, Robin. Yeah, no, please. I was just going to say the advocate uh, has been talking to the Mendocino Trail stewards for uh, several months now, at least since December, um, and I think we we've been covering the the tree sit-in and stuff as well in the the protests that have led up to it. Um, but unfortunately, since we're not really a, a breaking news type of outlet, it's not, we're not covering it today, but it will definitely be on the paper next week. <laughs> right, right, right. The, the advocate doesn't come out every day. Um, it is yeah. part of like the continuing story of local newspapers getting less and less, I don't know, muscle uh, as they get kind of defunded and resources taken away. And you are the editor-in-chief of the Fort Bragg Advocate News um, and you are struggling to keep the paper going, as far as I understand. Am I? Can you t- talk just a little bit about the Fort Bragg Advocate? Oh, yeah. Well, um, so I'm both the Advocate News and the Beacon editor, so I do both papers. Um, 
And we've gone from, I think it was 18 pages in two sections when I started a little over a year ago. And we went down to 10 pages in one section for about a year. And then I just fought and got two pages put back in. So um, we're getting a little bit bigger. Uh, hopefully we can gain some of those pages back as, as advertising comes back to the coast and it opens up more. But yeah, we're definitely sort of a poster child right now for how local news and newspapers are struggling for sure um it's it's not pretty but uh we we need the support of our community more than ever now so if you're a business and you want to advertise please consider you know your local paper it helps keeps us alive so just kind of the media landscape in our country and especially in rural areas compounded by the pandemic has really yeah you've really taken a hit from that Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, we've lost a good chunk of our staff. I don't have any on-staff reporters at the moment. So if, if I get a lot of emails saying, oh, can you send a, a reporter and a photographer out? And I was like, nope, just me. It's just what? me. What? Yeah. Well, I also heard you lost your building this year. We did lose the building. So I, I lose is kind of a strong term. So we haven't been working in that building for a year. And so it just didn't make sense to hold on to it when, you know, you, you're literally looking at where the paper goes out from. So um, I work from home 24-7 and it's, it, the paper still gets out and it's just fine. We just don't have a physical location in Fort Bragg anymore. If you guys still need to mail something, you can mail it to our sister paper in Ukiah, who still does have a, a physical location. The Ukiah Daily Journal. Well, yeah. that right there, that is the perfect illustration of why I wanted to start Byline Mendocino. To support, amplify, and really draw attention to the work that local journalists are doing because it's valiant. I mean, you're making it work, bringing news to this community despite all these obstacles. So thank you for that. And let's get to the stories. Um, we've got a couple of headlines I want to focus on and then um, whatever else you guys want to draw listeners' attention to. Uh, cannabis and logging are maybe top of mind, but there are other really significant stories you each broke this week. Robin, on the coast, it's what I thought was an extraordinary report of harassment at the Coast Chamber of Commerce by the board president that's driven a number of other board members out of the organization. And Matt, you were at the scene of an armed standoff between law enforcement and a suspect who barricaded himself inside a shed on the Coyote Valley Reservation in Redwood Valley. Um, so Matt, let's start with you. Um, you were at the scene in Coyote Valley this week. What happened and what was it like to be there? Um, I was Highway 101 listening to my police scanner and I suddenly started to hear reports of an individual holed up shed in the backyard of a Coyote Valley neighborhood. Um, so I had my camera, I had my laptop uh, and I, uh, I took off. When I got there, it was still early morning. Residents were sort of sleepy eyed, walking dogs, drinking coffee um, along a street replete with multiple sheriff's office vehicles and individuals dressed in um, tactical gear. Uh, it was, you know, wholesome American neighborhood. Right. Um, it was really uh, interesting contrast between the energy of the neighborhood and the energy of the law enforcement personnel on scene. The contrast, you know, the, the personnel on scene were clearly um, outfitted for a potentially violent situation. Uh, uh, Kevlar, um, military vests, etc. Um, the the Bearcat, which is the SWAT tactical vehicle, was called in. 
Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm an outdoors guy. I'm a backpacker type. I like gear. So it was kind of fascinating just seeing the gear, um, in, in full and in, in full wearing, um, going back to the contrast though, I, I spoke with several neighborhood, uh, uh, residents and they were almost nonplussed. It was, they said, Hey, yeah, we see, we see presence here uh, a couple times a month. Um, oh, uh, the, the suspect's name was um, is Tiny Whipple. He's currently in the Mendocino County Jail um, for what occurred, and um, they, they referred to issues associated with Tiny being very consistent. So you know there were there were even members of the neighborhood that um, were texting with him, were texting with his family. They were talking about their ongoing dialogues with him. Who, who he was holed up in that shed. Um, so that, that, that contrast to me, the, the serious stoicism of law enforcement to the sort of normalization of, uh, police presence and that sort of, uh, uh that sort of environment for mm-hmm. neighborhood that, that struck me. Right. Because the standoff did happen in right, just right in the middle of the neighborhood, right? Absolutely. There were kids, basketball hoops, uh, trampolines. Wow, but at, at a certain point, I know that Coyote Valley residents were sheltering in place, right? At some point, like the area was cleared, or did or were people around the whole time? I, from times that I was there on site, people even during the shelter in place, people were outside. Mm-hmm. I think it was maybe a best practice suggestion. Um, the, 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 the enforcement mechanisms on site were, were, there was a much larger presence of Mendocino County Sheriff's Office than any sort of tribal enforcement. There was a couple tribal security vehicles. Um, Coyote Valley Chair Michael Hunter made a couple appearances. Um, I wouldn't say any of the bystanders were like in the way of law enforcement, but their proximity to the proceedings was at points like shocking to me. Mm -hmm. Like there was like fence. Um, behind that fence was a house, and then behind that house was the shed. And mm-hmm. They were over using cell phones and smartphones to take pictures mm-hmm. of, of the proceedings. Um, the intimacy was fascinating. Now, what can you tell us about why the the suspect, what's his name, uh, Tiny Whipple, why he ended up in that shed and what, what was going on there? From what law enforcement explained to me and later published, they were serving a search warrant associated with some um, felony crimes Tiny Whipple was, is suspected of. Um, they arrived to that home that early that morning. He fled, and he fled into a shed into that backyard, and that's when the standoff kind of started. And did they know whether or not he was armed? Um, there was suspicion that he was armed. One of the more troubling bits of info that was heard over the scanner was they they heard the audible noise of like a magazine being inserted into mm-hmm. a firearm, which I think upped the level of uh, seriousness uh, responders had with the situation. Well, and ultimately... Um Tiny Whipple was taken into custody without any harm to anybody, with no violence. Um, do you know how that happened, how the situation was resolved? 
I, from conversations with uh, Captain Greg Van Patten and Sheriff Matt Kendall, their their whole strategy that day was time is our friend. We're going to wait Tiny out. Uh, it's a tiny shed. It's a hot day. It's sun exposed. He's stressed. Um, slowly, you know, those sort of initial emotions that might lead someone to hole up in a shed create this sort of situation they'll wane exhaustion will increase and um i think i believe that was their strategy throughout mm-hmm. the entire to just day, wait them out do you know if there were any um we've had a lot of conversation in the county about um, different responding agencies that when somebody's in a mental health crisis that law enforcement responds and and they're working on trying to figure out how to get mental health and behavioral health to come out and help with these situations do, do you know if that happened in this case if there was uh, mental health services on site Sheriff Kendall said specifically that they did collect uh, employees from behavioral health who came out to assist with the negotiations. Actually, that was such a human part of the proceeding was Tiny's mother, brother, and father were on site. And they, Sheriff Kendall told me that they were able to provide a cell phone to do negotiations to Tiny. And so family members were attempting to sort of de-escalate the situation along with law enforcement, along with behavioral health. So there, there was a lot, um, a lot of resources circling around Tiny to bring it to a peaceful end. All right. And uh, the other thing that, that we need to make clear is that Tiny Whipple is not a tribal member. Is that right? That's true. And that was made clear by both tribal um, personnel and law enforcement personnel. I, he was just dis, disbarred and I believe it was 2015. Um, as to the exact circumstances, I, I do not know, but they wanted to make that publicly very well known that he is not a Coyote Valley member. All right, this is Byline Mendocino. I'm Alicia Bales, live in the studio, and our local media roundtable this morning is Matt Lefevre of Mendo Fever and Robin Epley of the Fort Bragg Advocate News and Mendocino Beacon. Um, Robin, let's turn to you, your kind of jaw-dropping story about the Coast uh, Chamber of Commerce, Mendocino Coast Chamber of Commerce, um, and harassment allegations. What, what's that story about? Yeah, so um, the Mendocino Coast Chamber of Commerce CEO, Sharon Davis, uh, sent out an email, I want to say it was in late April, um, basically handing in her resignation, and she didn't mention in the email, but it was a very shocking email, that she had been experiencing some harassment and intimidation from a fellow board member, uh, and that she was quitting because of that, and that she didn't feel supported by her, her fellow board. And so um, I looked into it, and I talked to Sharon, and I talked to some other people who were involved, and it turns out that the person in question was board president Ray Alarcon. And lots of people came forward, actually, for our first story on this. I think I had a total of four or five people who said that they had felt harassed or intimidated by this man. Um, sorry, <laughs> my dog in the background is trying to play. <laughs> Zoom live. And... Uh, yeah, I don't know if you can hear her. Uh, anyway, uh, she um, it, it just turned out to be a, a series of incidents where he had tried to yell at people in their workplaces. Uh, people were alleging that he had 
uh, you know, called and made demands behind uh, Sharon Davis's back, uh, things that should have gone through her as the CEO, that he had tried to instill other people into positions that uh, if he didn't like them. Um, and so our first article, I want to say, came out in May, and then uh, we did a follow-up, and I had asked the chamber if they were planning to investigate this, and the chamber really turned it around on Davis and said that she needed to come forward and to say, you know, to talk to them first, and that they weren't going to do an investigation unless she was willing to talk, and Sharon said, you know, I, I tried to talk to you guys. I tried to talk to you multiple times. I'm done. I, I just want out, um, and I'm, I was very confused and i said this to them that uh you know there are other people other than sharon here that are saying these things why are you hinging this on her um but to my knowledge they are not planning an investigation of alarcon at this moment uh which is pretty shocking well especially with the numbers of people who you were able to quote by name in your coverage of this um they cited uh, constant harassment and discriminatory behavior or sharon davis referred to that and we had Travis Scott, Jake Langevin, Tara Estes, Joshua Coate, Kristen Surratt, Casey Davis, and Tracy McDaniel all stepping forward to corroborate and to support um, Sharon Davis's claims. And yet the Chamber of Commerce says it has no plans to investigate the harassment. The people you all just named are all either former employees or former board members of the Chamber as well. And so these aren't just people off the street. These are you know, just as involved in the chamber as Sharon Davis was. And so that's why it was so shocking to me that they are saying that they're not going to investigate unless Sharon comes to talk to them. And I was I was just appalled, really, that they, they were just hinge everything on her and say, well, if she doesn't want to talk to us, it's over. Um, I, I don't know what they're going to do. I hope they investigate. I hope that they mm-hmm. take... Uh, Mr. Alarcon out of the equation and doing a proper investigation but at this point it kind of sounds like that's not something they're going to do of their own free will so I think maybe the California Chamber of Commerce uh, committee needs to step in Mm -hmm. and and do something about this. What role does the Chamber of Commerce play on the coast and why does this matter? Sure. So the Chamber of Commerce, uh, really in any city, is kind of a hub of information and support for local businesses. And I think it's really particularly important right now with the pandemic. You know, obviously it's not at an end, but as things, you know, start winding up for summer and people feel more safe to travel, our businesses are going to start seeing a lot more commerce and a lot more people coming through their doors. And they need that sort of support from their local Chamber of Commerce. But it doesn't sound like they're in a position to, to support any anybody right now and i certainly as a business wouldn't want somebody at the head of that organization who has a history of this right well and and businesses are required by law and by best practices to have policies to deal with this kind of stuff did you were able to look into the chamber's policies for um dealing with harassment or investigating employee claims like this i haven't yet but that's certainly our next article cool All right. (laughs) Where can people find this coverage? I I found it. It wasn't really at the top of the of the Web page. I had to search for it. Yeah, well, news moves quickly, right? And it is graduation True week, so that. things cycle through. But, uh, yeah, advocatenews.com, advocate-news, uh, mendocinobeacon.com. Um, it's also up on our, our websites, our, our Facebook pages, et cetera. So, yeah, just type in Chamber of Commerce. You'll find it. 
Great. Okay, let's turn now to, um, I'll kind of toss the ball back to you guys. Those are the stories that I thought, wow, these are really impactful. I want to definitely get more information, go more in depth uh, from the headlines with you guys. But what stories are you following? What What are you looking at? What do you think people should be paying attention to this week? Matt, you want to start? Uh, yeah, I paying attention to the cannabis phase three conversation. Sure. It was particularly uh, embedded within a budgetary discussion this week was a um, presentation by Mendocino County District Attorney David Eister about the nature of um, the funding of the district attorney's office, of a claimed rise, 10% rise in violent felonies. Um, and in response to a question from Third District Supervisor John Hashik, District Attorney Eister characterized that rise sort of in the hands of the black market um, illegal cannabis industry, which I found very um, compelling and uh, polarizing. Uh, I wrote about it, and I've seen readers really... um, uh, There's a huge faction sort of... um, You know, I'd characterize some of them as sort of like apologists for the, the crime that's endemic in some of the cannabis especially the black market and then and then um, the sensationalizing that crime also it's it's very polarizing in the community and you know with all things i'm sure there's sort of a middle ground david eister cited some pretty shocking recent um crimes associated with uh, the cannabis industry the double homicide and well it's uh, robbery and standoff that occurred uh last September. So I don't know. And to me, it's 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 part of the conversation of phase three. It's one of the reasons we're having such a vitriolic reaction in our mm-hmm. community. Talk is because of those kind of quality of life concerns. Sure, the stakes are high. And there was a presentation last night hosted by the Inland Democratic Club, where um, it was a debate about the different aspects of phase three for the cannabis ordinance update. And uh, there wa- it was very clear that there is a, a, a relationship between the good, good local cannabis policy and the ability of people to get into that system and become legal and the rise uh, and behavior of the illegal black market. So, yeah, for sure, this is definitely on the on the front burner for something very important to our community. And and Robin, what about you? I know graduation is <laughs> is a, a top line item. What else is going on? I was going to say graduation yeah. this week. It's a parade through town today. You guys should check it out. What it's time? Awesome. Uh, the parade starts at four, and then uh, the commencement ceremony. They actually get to have one this year. It's at five, so I get to go and I get to watch them, and it's going to be so exciting. Um, but no, what I was going to say was uh, the the local. Well, it's not local; it's statewide. The drought, the water emergency that's going on, but specifically the local response to that drought emergency has been very interesting. Um, Fort Bragg has uh, been trying to get a desalination uh, machine in so that they can pull water from the Noya River during the King Tides. Uh, they, the Mendocino uh, Community Services District has been in a stage four drought for far longer than Fort Bragg's been on the ball. Um, and it's, it's just been very interesting to watch. We're hitting historic lows right now on the coast. Um, obviously, we're not the only part of the state that's experiencing this. It's bad all over. But, you know, we live here and I think it's really important to know what our local government and and agencies are doing to combat this. 
Um, Fort Bragg is already in, I believe it's, we're still in stage one water emergency, which is sort of just a suggestion of, you know, try to use less water, try not to wash your car so often, et cetera. Uh, but stage two, stage three, stage four, we're going to start seeing stricter and stricter uh, requirements. And unfortunately, we are already hitting those markers weeks ahead of where we hit them last year. So if anybody remembers last year, we had to, you know, it was sort of enforced, please use less water. And we actually hit our target and went a little bit beyond, but this year we're on track to to have those requirements much, much earlier in the year. Wow. So you're watching the uh, the response of the local aid, water agencies and boards and things to, to the crisis of the drought in our communities. Yeah. And the Board of Supervisors just created a new uh, water emergency agency as well. So that's something to keep an eye on as well. Right. How is that? How does that interact with local municipalities? Do you know? Is it just too early? That's a good question. I don't think they've entirely figured that out yet. Uh, It's it's a brand new agency and we're all kind of just keeping our eye on it. All right. Well, we're coming to the end of the round local roundtable section. So um, I just want to, again, ask if there's any kind of last thoughts you want to leave listeners with and also uh, let people know how to cover, how to reach your, your coverage. Matt, you are um, an exclusively online out, outfit. Uh, uh, um, readers uh, interested can check out my news blog at mendofever.com. I also work with Kim Kemp's Redheaded Black Belt and KMUD News. Oh, right. Yes, you report for KMUD, so you're a radio guy, too. I dabble. I dabble. I dabble. try. <laughs> <laughs> and Robin? Well, you can find us at advocate-news.com or at mendocinobeacon.com. You can also pick up our, our regular paper once a week on Thursdays. The new paper just came out yesterday. Uh, and this week, we're, we're just celebrating all those graduates. So, you know, go class of 2021. All right. And you'll be out uh, with the graduation parade in Fort Bragg today starting at 4 o'clock? Yep. Going right down Main Street. All right. Where are people gathering it for? Uh, that's a good question. I believe they're going to be between Cypress and Oak Street on Main Street. That's the particular viewing area because the parade will go down Main between those two streets and then turn up Oak towards the high school. Okay, quite a landmark for us in the pandemic to get to have graduates back in person to receive their diplomas. Thank you so much, both of you, for all of the work that you do to keep our community informed and for coming on Byline today to share that work with our listeners. Thank you, Alicia. All right. Thank you. Thank you. When we come back, we will hear from Sarah Sturch, who is an independent journalist based in Sonoma County, who uses social media to report on wildfires and other emergencies in our region in real time. We're going to talk with Sarah about her work uh, and the upcoming fire season. Stay tuned. I just got good news. Good morning. It's Alicia Bales. This is Byline Mendocino, our local media roundtable program here on KZYX. I'm with you every other Friday morning talking about local journalism and talking with our local newsmakers. In this half of the show, we're going to talk with an invaluable local journalist, uh, Sarah Sturch. She's an independent journalist. She's based in Sonoma County. She uses social media to report on wildfires and other emergencies in our region in real time. She's become a trusted source for accurate and up-to-the-minute information about evacuations, details about fires, and more. Uh, When getting it right means saving lives. Um, 
She's also a researcher for Wikipedia, a freelance journalist, a photographer, and I gather from her feed on Twitter, a connoisseur of the best local restaurants in our area. Welcome, Sarah. Thanks for being here on Byline Mendocino this morning. Good morning. Good Great morning. to be here. Um, <laughs> it's not the most pleasant of subjects, but glad to be here with but, you. So. But it's what we're all thinking about, right? We can't. We just can't stop thinking about it, planning, especially after last year's fire season you know i know here at kzyx it's like a huge part of what i'm working on now is getting ready for the the upcoming fire season which promises to be because of the drought and the temperatures worse in magnitude than what we experienced last year and last year was rough so um let's start by talking about the fire coverage um first of all a little bit of background how did you get started what do you do um what led you to (laughs) <laughs> to be the the go-to person on Twitter for North Bay fire information. You know, it it all happened with the 2017 wildfires in uh, Sonoma and Napa. I live in downtown Sonoma, uh, the town, and um, I was sleeping in bed. You know, like so many people were so on that that fateful night in October, and um, I smelled smoke didn't think much about it for some strange reason because I was kind of in and out of sleep and I have a local there there at the time there was a one of my neighbor a homeless guy who lived in my neighborhood just to be honest and he um he now has found housing and care thank goodness but he uh, suffered suffers from schizophrenia and he tends to vocalize uh, pretty loudly and um that morning, you know, around 4 a.m., he started yelling, the hills are on fire, literally outside of my window. And um, and then he walked down the street, and I smelled the smoke, heard him yelling, and went, okay, maybe the hills are on fire. And I looked out my bedroom window where I can see this, the, the mountains or the, the hills, you know, surrounding downtown Sonoma, and literally the hills are on fire. I can't believe and it. That is the most uh, analog... <laughs> the most non-digital, non-technological way of hearing about the fire. Yeah. You just heard someone yelling about it outside your window. Yeah. And, Thank goodness. And I called my best friend, or I think she texted me. She lives in town. And and we were like, okay, this is really weird. What is going on? I was like, I'm going to go on Twitter. I don't know. I need to get my bearings. I'll talk right. to you in a bit. And I had been, as you mentioned, I mean, I do, I do own a small business. I, I don't just have... I'm not a full-time journalist, as you've kind of noticed, Um, and uh, I am a volunteer Wikipedia editor. I have been for 15 years, and you tend to, even when you're a reader using Wikipedia, you tend to go down a wormhole. You know, you click on one thing, and then you, it's even worse when you contribute to Wikipedia, because one minute you're writing about a subject you really care about, like the history of Mendocino County, and then five minutes later, you're in a wormhole about climate change, you know, or for me, it was wildfires. Mm-hmm. I started to read more about wildfires in national forests, including, uh, you know, in, in Oregon State, Montana. Somehow I came across it and started to learn sort of more about the process of how wildfires work and how they uh, about fire suppression and things that just kind of just geeked out a little bit. So when I woke up and heard about the, I saw the fire outside my window, I just started using some of that knowledge I, I collected mm-hmm. through uh, Wikipedia and through the resources I, I was reading, you know, from the Forest Service and things like that, and realized that nobody, 
was reporting on the on this. The newspapers here are underfunded. You know, our hometown newspaper is small and has a tiny staff, and they don't do breaking news. You know, they don't. Uh, the Press Democrat had never dealt with this before, and I was a freelancer for the Press Democrat at the time, writing about wine. But I um, did my own thing, and I don't know. I just started. I just jumped on Twitter mm-hmm. and Facebook and started. I started tapping into resources I've learned about and reaching out to contacts, and and it just started happening. I realized that people I, needed that information, and that you know people were dying at this these 2017 fires. You know, that's and right. It was scary, and I don't know. I just did the best I could to help, and somehow I was just doing it. I don't. It's hard to. Ex- it's hard to explain. Yeah, no, it just kind of happened, right? Well, I, I always suspected that there was something, your coverage on Twitter uh, of the local fires, and you cover the whole region. You, I mean, I, I look to you constantly during fire season, which is why I wanted to talk to you. Yeah, oh. mainly, well, and I, I well, appreciate that. Girl. <laughs> Noma, Mendocino, and right. uh, Napa. If I can get a hold of Lake and Solano, I often, I will try. So I'm, I'm working on those. And Marin County, of course, too. Right, so. and it, but it's qualitatively different than other kind of posts on Twitter about the fires. And I suspected it was because you, Wikipedia has a standard for, you know, being able to verify and source things. And, and so, I mean, I still source the the fire information when I announce it on the air, but I, you know, but, but you give me the heads up. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, Sarah Sturge says this is going on. Thank goodness. And, and you're on there constantly. Yeah. It's, you'd think it's, I'm like, I have a Twitter in my head. I wonder. (laughs) I mean, I went during fires when it's big, when there's major fires, as I guess we'll call them, you know, like the Oak Fire, you know, in in, in Trail. Uh, It's like, yeah, I'll be on, I'll be online for 15 hours a day. In 2017 and 2018, I wouldn't even sleep. I'd go two or three days. But now I, now we have this group of people on Twitter that we call, lovingly call Twitter Fire. And everybody jumps into action. I mean, there's a guy in New Zealand who loves California fires and happens to report about them on Twitter. And um, uh, another another friend at Bark Flight and a, a group of us sort of help each other out. So when I go, I'm going to bed as if you were one of my followers, you will know, I will say I'm going to sleep, <laughs> follow someone else. I'll be back in four hours. Right. And it's it's quite a thing. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it is the greatest honor to be able to keep people informed and and when people tell you you've helped save their lives or that you helped them evacuate their animals, it is right. the most humbling thing. And the fact that social media can be used in such a positive way. And I try to do it in a fun way, too. I, I'm, I consider myself an editorialist, so I can be a little snarky and silly and sarcastic. But I put in emojis and I use GIFs and I try to make it accessible and you know and you also you're you're transparent you know both um for how you're getting the information and also of your yourself and your experience and your you know your own perceived limitations and you know you do have a relationship with your followers in that way like you show your personality you're not just kind of dryly reporting on what the public information officer for cal fire said you know in Healdsburg or whatever. Um, I wonder about that. Like, I think that what you're doing is sort of a frontier of journalism. And I wonder how you think about that, how you've adapted to the this dire situation we find ourselves in, grow increasingly worse.
forests with wildfires and the need uh, simultaneously the collapse of our local media infrastructure and the, the just the, the need but not only that I mean local the local traditional media can do a lot but what you're doing on Twitter is so immediate it, it's so um, flexible you know and and it's just it's just adapting to the situation we find ourselves in in this whole new way. So how do you think about that? And, and uh, you know, what do you think about yourself as a, as a journalist using this medium? It's really complex. I, um, I have a lot of challenges. It's sort of, it's like, you know, I, I'm asked to be on panels with journalists and I can't relate anymore, you know, to the traditional model. I have, I do not miss editors I do not miss having to wait to get my work published. And that's sort of, you know, I don't, yeah, I don't do investigative journalism in the traditional sense. I I do large format, long format on Facebook when I, I I will go on. If you compare the two, uh, Facebook is a little bit more complex when I, when I make posts, if I'm doing something quote unquote investigative or a, a larger editorial about politics um, and I do local, I cover local politics too. Um, I, I do know that it's challenged the status quo. I have worked with publications in the past who tried to take credit for my social media reporting just because I did freelance for them. I have huh. had, I have fire folks, when I say fire folk, people who work in the field, PIOs, firefighters who hate me, and I have people who like me. You know, people, I don't hold back, and I tend to share information before other people do, and sometimes I do the job better than the people who are being paid full-time to do it. And it really, and I say better, faster, and mm-hmm. in a different way. Right, you're, really you're, not, uh, you're not subject to a bureaucracy. There's no one yeah, filtering you. And, and that can be a challenge. I mean, look at fake news world and all of the complexities around how people use and abuse social media. And being uh, a researcher in my day job, a researcher as a volunteer on Wikipedia, as a, uh, a, a professional who studied research and data in, in my academic life, I'm passionate about that. And I'm deeply passionate about providing people free, immediate access to breaking news and information. I understand it takes away from people's financial investment, perhaps in traditional media, but I don't have time to sit around and wait for a, a high-paying job in journalism. I'm a member of the National Press Club. I'm a member of the Society of Independent Journalists. I am just as valid and have been as well-published and, you know, valued as old-school journalists. I just don't have the patience anymore for it. Right. Especially when You've people's got lives are Yeah, and I'm exactly. Scared. You know, we're all scared, so yeah. it helps me channel my... You know, I'm very open about my anxiety and such like that, you know, on social media. And it it helps other people feel better when I'm like, I'm freaking out too, everybody. Yeah. And you can't say that in traditional journalism. You know, you're not supposed to share your thoughts and opinions when you're reporting on factual information. But Right. Well, and, and you have not held back about your concerns about the upcoming fire season. Do you want to share that? With us, your your thoughts or anxieties, just you know, just yeah. give everybody a rage about fireworks. Oh, go my social right. media. Um, yes, I am concerned. I I have woken up every single day for the past week. I'm not even exaggerating. I woke up at five a.m. today. I am not a person. I wake up at seven. I'm a I'm a late sleeper at this point, quote unquote. And I woke up five, 
5.30 today, literally thinking about droughts and then weather and like thinking about the, this plot of land where they're going to have a fireworks show in downtown Sonoma that is so dry. They have, they're going to tank in reclaimed water during a drought to spray it all over the place so we have no problems. I trust that it'll go off safely, but it freaks me out a little bit because I'm going to be told, I'm being told to voluntarily reduce my water usage. So, but it's cool to throw, you know, a fireworks show with a lot of water, you know, trucked in from somewhere else. So these are things I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about farmers 10 miles away from my house, you know, from where I'm talking to you right now and same in Mendocino County, you know, you, we've got the complexity of the cannabis situation here in, in Sonoma and Mendo. We have, uh, of course, the vineyards, which also suck up a lot of water unless they're dry farming and not enough are. So I've just been thinking about that, you know, that what's going to be the wake-up call? I have, you know, who's, how many more houses have to burn before people realize that this is, I'm so tired of the new normal. I'm tired, this doesn't have to be the new normal, but mm-hmm. the fact that, you know, on NPR today, they were saying that we're now in, we're in such a, we're in one of those droughts that'll probably last a decade, you know, and that this is just the beginning of this time, you know, I mean, it's, it's terrifying. I mean, we can only take five minute showers, but we, is that enough? You know, it's, I have a lot of anxiety about it. And I figure if you don't, then you're not paying attention. Right. Well, and as we were talking about in the last segment with Robin Epley of the Fort Bragg Advocate News, um, local journalism, local media has just been crushed. I mean, the conditions that folks are working under in these small newsrooms who, you know, people working from home, staffs being cut. I mean, if you're not paying attention, you can't really be blamed so much. I mean, it's hard to even get this this information. And people are really turning to social media where you you have to wade through a lot of, of stuff that's, you know, schlock or, or untrue or disinformation in, in order to get the real news. And it's challenging. I mean, I, I subscribe to a couple papers in Mendocino because I visit Mendocino a lot and love Mendocino. My best one of my best friends is a is a Willits resident, and um, you know I subscribe to some of the local newspapers here in Sonoma. I subscribe to the Chronicle. You know some, you know I do what I can, and that's because people support my work as a as a online so a social media journalist people donate to me they donate to you can donate to all these different types of people doing work like i do i'm not a i used to not take donations but i take time unpaid time off from my work mm-hmm. to sometimes it'll be a month you know and if i'm not working i'm not making money and people can people support me so i'm able to afford the tools i need whether it's other it's other newspapers especially the great work the chronicle's been doing lately um and you know the folks in mendocino there's so much great work being done of local journalism and wildfires, and they're just as fast as getting the news out because so many of it of these publications are now being operated by young people. You know, I'm I'm 40, but people who are my age and who don't have to sit around and wait for the higher ups to say, "Okay, cool, let's publish this." You know, right. they can just hit the button, and we don't see that in Sonoma. There's nothing like that here, and uh, we don't see it in Napa either, and. But we also see great Facebook groups. You know, there's the Mendocino emergency groups. And sometimes yeah. some people, you know, there's a lot of really great people reporting, breaking information about everything from crime to accidents and road closures. And 
fires and you know everything and and it's great that people are being informed it's just also trying to keep people calm and you're also like a therapist to people you know when you do this kind of work i'm sort of rambling sorry it's just but but no you're making an, an excellent point about what our media landscape has become it's a lot of people who feel it as a calling the way that you do trying to come up with new models right i don't know what drives people but thank god that they are driven because otherwise we would just be left with nothing and um it's it's wild to me but when you're talking about keeping people calm i think being left in the dark with no information or no reliable information is the thing that really causes the the worst of the anxiety so even if we're hearing bad news at least we know accurately what's going on and it's just an incredible service and you're right it's it's folks all across the region just taking it into their own hands and doing uh doing the best coverage that they can and i'm curious um you know you're talking about people subscribing to your work and supporting your work and sort of uh making it more financially sustainable for local journalists like you um how are you preparing for the upcoming fire season? Have you have you got anything from your experience over the last few years that that you're really taking to heart to to adapt to to what's coming down the pike? And before you answer that, let me just mention um this is Byline Mendocino. I'm Alicia Bales, and my guest is Sarah Sturt. She's an independent journalist based in Sonoma County who uses social media to report on wildfires, uh, local politics, and other emergencies. Um, but yeah, so how are you preparing, and what what are you expecting? I'm um, I'm doing a lot of mental health preparing because it's very traumatizing work. You know, a lot of the work I do is at home, oddly enough, or at my office. But then I do go out into the field and people send me like their home addresses and I'd go by their houses and see if they're still there. You know, and it's incredibly traumatizing. And um, so I I have to prepare myself mentally to see if the Um, houses are still standing. Yeah. You know, so it's like you're in the middle of people's the end of the total destruction it's toxic it's um very uncomfortable it's going into a war zone you know in a way it's just you're inhaling toxic stuff and wearing a you know big mask on your face and protective gear and fire is you know smoldering around you and it's people have no clue until they see it in person and people who've lost homes or lost you know had suffered property damage or building you know uh, businesses know what i'm talking about but most people will never see what I see and other people see. Um, so I had to prepare myself mentally for the lack of sleep, for the fast-paced situation. I'm concerned that we're going to see like what we did last year, multiple fires burning in various areas, you know, one in Napa, one in Sonoma, one in Mendocino, right. two in Lake County. And balancing that mm-hmm. is, can be very challenging. Sometimes tracking them. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> tracking them, both uh, you as a journalist tracking, but also making it very clear to your readers what which fires i mean they've been they've sort of evolved this hashtag thing on twitter over the last few years and they name the fires right away and you know they have the incidents but um but yeah so we've got all these sort of little little, uh protocols that we're starting to develop around keeping it really clear but yeah last year with the the august complex and the oak fire and the lnu complex lnu chaos of there's always a lot of lnu action around here that you know and then of course stuff in cruise and right you know so it's tough and i i i'm trying to um i'm, I'm trying to make sure all my subscriptions are, are up to date you know because that's kind of one of the worst things is to log on and see that i can't access certain mapping tools and things so, right. i mean it's kind of simple stuff but you know i have an entire 
database, I have a mapping system that I use where I track every single little fire that gets reported and the outcome, you know, so I'm already doing that. And, you know, it's just, I I kind of, people say, why do you report on some of these little tiny fires that pop up? And a lot of them I don't, but sometimes I do if I know they're going to be in an area where you could drive down the street and see it or be concerned. And, um, or maybe it'll threaten, you know, people's houses or businesses, uh, populated areas. It's kind of like practice, you know, it's, it's okay, practice see that. for the upcoming season. And, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to follow along with some of the new technology that people are using regarding these cameras, but it's not publicly accessible. You know, the, the county, Sonoma County has invested some money with an overseas, like a Korean or company or something to install new camera systems so they can... Um, you know, monitor any little starts that they might see, uh, you know, using like infrared systems, something like that. And frankly, I don't think it matters because it's not as good as the human being, mm-hmm. you know, satellites and the human eye, you know, will always be better, in my opinion, than the fanciest technology on the planet. So I'm just trying to follow along with what people are doing with that. And then I'm kind of obsessing about water restrictions and water use and what we're going to do. I mean, it's we've hired more firefighters, but, you know, doesn't really matter if they can't properly fight fires with water uh, right so you know what are we going to do about that so yeah it's just not really much you can do to prepare in my situation you know it's just it's just for me a lot of it's mental health it's yeah it really that is. makes sense i mean for us we're thinking about um, you know bringing more hands on deck we're thinking about how to streamline the reporting reporting because it's really the most important thing we do, you know, is, is make sure that our listeners have up to the date fire information, especially, at, you know, when evacuations are happening, uh, when people's lives and property are at stake. I mean, there's nothing more important that we do than get people that information as fast as possible. So, yeah, I'm, I mean, well, I, I'm looking back over the last few years and thinking about what worked. But really, you're right. It's kind of once you get in there, it's just a marathon. And so, well, and I, and I, you know, I should shouldn't say there's nothing, not a lot I can do to prepare. I mean, I'm not a traditional, you know, I'm not, I don't have to worry about hiring other people. I just okay. know, let's hope all my buddies on Twitter are going to be there for me, you know, and let's hope, you know, to support each other. But I, I am also not only obsessing about the water situation here, but I, I try to pre. My favorite website is readyforwildfire.org, <laughs> and it's the Cal Fire website readyforwildfire.org and you can learn everything from when to mow your lawn i know there is actually a good time to mow your lawn and it is in the very early morning and don't mow dry grass because that's not what mowing's for and um how to prepare for for evacuations what to get in your evacuation kits uh, how to you know fire ready or a fire harden your house I mean, it is. it sounds dorky and stupid, but trust me, people, when you have your go bag by the door and you know the priority items you're going to be taking, when you know how to get your pets ready, it is a game changer. And I know people who literally have, practically have all of their belongings in their car for six months a year because they are worried. And it's better to be prepared than not because when time comes, you're not going to have much time. And evacuate when you're asked. I beg people all the time, don't be a hero evacuate when asked because most of the time you're only in the way so ready for wildfires ready for wildfire.org that is how you all can be uh get prepared for wildfire season so well and i love hearing um the favorite source of our favorite source you know what i mean like where do you go to get the information um that we need uh 
like that's great to know that that's who you rely on so um yeah so okay so we got just a, a couple minutes left here so as as we sort of uh close up the show today anything else that you um that you want to comment on about your your work or about the upcoming fire season or uh sort of the big picture that you've developed from all of the small fires you know all of the the minute by minute coverage that you've done does it come together into any kind of big picture for you I just, I, I just am eternally, I'm just so concerned about the future of California, and it's changing so rapidly. And, you know, I, one reason I love visiting, like, Mendocino County, for example, is because of the beautiful rains and the lush greenery. And that is a lot of reason why a lot of people love to live up there, too, right? You know, right. The, the, beautiful, the beautiful mist that comes in from the coast. And, you know, I love a misty, a misty foggy morning in Fort Bragg. And... I am concerned that that could go away quicker than we think because of fire. I mean, last year we had a wildfire at Fort Ross. Right. On the coast. On, on the coast. Like yep. there was wildfire jumping, jumping highway one. So this is no longer just about the wooded rural areas up in the hills, you know, and or Lake County, you know, that's, that's got a lot of rural land or the Mendocino forest, you know, national mm-hmm, forest. Mm-hmm. This is about everywhere. And I just really hope people are, one, are kind and patient to all journalists and support local journalism, whether it's a social media person like me or it's, it's you. Uh, become members if you can spare. $5 a month makes a huge difference in, in you know, our operations, so to say, if you can. And if you can't afford to donate, that's okay. Put a little time into preparing your house, take care of yourself, and make sure you're ready. And uh, we'll, we'll be here, you know. All of us will be here for everybody to, to report on things and make sure everyone can be safe. Everyone and their animals can be safe. So, And, Sarah, and you can follow me yes, on Twitter. That's my question. How do people follow you and your amazing Yeah, coverage? you can follow me on Twitter at Sarah, S-A-R-A-H underscore Sturch, S-T-I-E-R-C-H. You can Google me. I'm the only one in the world, so you'll find me. Um, you can follow my Facebook profile. Just look me up, Sarah Sturch. I'm in a lot of the Mendocino groups, again, because I visit a lot, so you might see me in some of them. Um, you know, if we have a lot of mutual friends, feel free to add me on Facebook. Uh, and, yeah, you can – I don't post much on Instagram, but you can also find me on Instagram about uh, – where I post a little bit about climate change and a lot about food, including the yummy food uh, up in Willits and, uh, you know, Fort Bragg and Mendocino and Ukiah. So, yes, I do appreciate yeah. those food posts. <laughs> <laughs> As we all need a break sometimes, yeah, you know. Totally. We have a As we, break. I mean, life's my... joys. Come on. After we've been all shut down for so long, it's just nice to see you enjoying like a. I'm, I'm counting down the days burger. when I can go up to, to Noyal Harbor and get my favorite fish and chips and have a beer and look at the look at all the animals playing in the water. So yeah, that has been our one little uh, evil pleasure of going out to the harbor and eating outside. And oh, absolutely. All right. Well, Sarah Search, thank you so much for your work and for being here to tell us about it on Byline Mendocino. Can't thank you My enough. My pleasure. Everyone be safe out there. Take care. And this has been Byline Mendocino. I'm Alicia Bales. I come here every other Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. to bring you the voices of local journalists in our area and talking about their work and following their local stories more in depth. So thanks so much for listening, and I will be back with you in two weeks. Tune in at this time next week for Politics, a Love Story with Bob Bashansky. Take care, y'all. 
If you enjoyed this podcast, you can go to kzyx.org to find more shows and content like this one. While there, you can stream us live or check out our jukebox. And if you like what you hear, consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. We are Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, listener-supported community radio. KZYX, Philo, 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Woolitz and Ukiah, 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. Thanks for listening.